Thanks for joining me for episode 46. And if you suddenly lose your sense of smell, it could be COVID. Let's look at what the literature says and also at something called COVID toes. Hello, my name is Dr. Cameron Jones, and thank you for tuning in to this week's live stream. I'm doing it from the lab. This is where I spend a lot of my time for a couple of reasons. Most of you who are following this live stream or turn on your TV or radio probably are aware that at least in Australia, the coronavirus restrictions are going to be relaxed to some extent. That means that sectors of the economy are going to be going back to work. And we're incredibly busy uh, working on various different aspects of this to support public health. And so therefore, my normal, uh, quite lengthy live streams each week are going to be a little bit uh, um, shorter. And uh, we're kicking off uh, with this one, which is also unfortunately a little bit late. But in any case, what I want to bring to you today is really an overview of some of the key papers which have come out in the last week or so, which impact on our understanding of COVID-19, or most specifically, the acquisition of this particular virus. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about that, but I'm also going to be uh, previewing some of the results from a survey which uh, we have just um, uh, done on the Australian uh, population or a sector of the Australian population. I talked about this a little bit in last week's live stream. And essentially, this is focusing on what is called uh, direct uh, and indirect um, coming into contact with the virus. So there are two ways that you can become sick uh, with the virus, and that is obviously coming in contact with infected or asymptomatic persons, and the most usual route is a droplet spread. But the other one is this indirect contact or picking it up from surfaces. And we've spent quite a lot of time focusing on uh, indirect or fomite transmission. And I'm going to extend uh, our discussion of that into this week's uh, live stream and show, uh, simply because we've done a survey on um, uh, what people's perceptions and, and existing knowledge is around um, SARS-CoV-2 and uh, how this impacts on uh, our thinking. And also, you know, this information is uh, very useful. So we're currently um, uh, putting out a uh, paper which is uh, undergoing peer review at this point in time. And this is going to focus exclusively on this second type of transmission pathway, which is the surface contaminants. So in any case, what I want to do now is I want to get up what we're going to be talking about today. And I've put this uh, quite um, uh, uh, provocative title up, COVID toes, loss of smell, and a preview of our survey results on a COVID safe workplace. And the reason I have done this is that I was quite... Um, interested when I saw this uh, paper appear on the preprint server on the MedArchive. And this particular paper was talking about something called the uh, loss of smell. So many people who go on to contract the illness uh, COVID-19 after exposure to the virus 
have amazingly lost their sense of smell. And so I want to review what this paper actually said, because I think that this is a really good marker. This is a really good example of something which uh, is, is very easy to, to use. And certainly as our schools reopen and childcare and kindergartens reopen, a lot of these um, very significant uh, uh, symptoms uh, which individuals might experience are just the type of thing that you want to be on the lookout for and certainly want to discuss this with your healthcare provider and medical practitioner. So in any case, I've put the paper title and the Earl up on the screen. And basically what the uh, paper was doing is that they looked at 500 patients who had a mean age of around about 41 years old, and they ranged in age from 18 to 86 years. And they presented with the following symptoms, essentially just of the common cold. And these symptoms included cough at 77% nearly. Uh, the uh, individuals experienced sore throat at nearly 65%. Uh, rhinorrhea. Now this is a common symptom of allergies and it's typically uh, mucus with fluid. 55% uh, of individuals had this. And myalgia, uh, so a common cold symptom as well as dyspnea uh, and a fever. And again, we're all on the lookout for fevers because this is what we have been told is the number one um, um, sort of a flag fall for going out and, uh, uh, you know, probably considering whether or not you have been exposed. But this loss of smell is really, really interesting. And in the uh, review of the statistics that the authors put out in their paper, they were saying that 13.8% had experienced sudden smell or taste loss, loss of smell. Now, if we drill further into this publication, we can discover a few more interesting facts and figures. So from this initial 500 person grouping, 69 of them had some loss of smell or taste. Again, 22 of these tested positive for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. 12 of them also uh, uh, lost their sense of smell and were positive as well. So you can see that the numbers are reducing. So overall, the frequency of the symptom sudden smell loss or anosomia, anosomia. Again, I had to look this up. Uh, basically, COVID-19 patients, the percentage is 64.7%. So that is the medical term for loss of smell. Now, compared to COVID-19 patients without smell loss, the group was significantly younger and much less severely affected to what we have seen when we turn on the news and see some very uh, seriously compli uh, serious complications, including uh, difficulty with breathing. So by excluding patients with just a blocked nose, the symptom sudden smell loss had a very high specificity of 97%. And so what the authors suggest is that this symptom of loss of smell should be added to the WHO symptom list. And I thought that this was one of the standout papers that has come out in the last 10 days. Now, let's move on to something called COVID toes. And again, I'm no podiatrist or medical doctor, I'm a microbiologist, but when I read 
this paper about COVID toes and saw some of the images, I was really intrigued because firstly, it looks like a severe inflammatory reaction. But secondly, I wonder what the microbiology of uh, these toes would be as well. Again, we don't have enough information regarding um, COVID-19 in general. This is such a new illness and, and virus that there are so many publications being uh, coming out each week. Uh, it's very difficult to get across all of these. And so we, we just don't have information about, say, the microbiology of the uh, toes. But what we can see, and again, this publication goes into some detail. If we move away from the actual images, again, here's the paper which has appeared in the literature. What happened is that a 13-year-old boy presented with foot lesions and they had a typical color of violet rounded lesions with blurred limits and it occurred on both feet, not just one. And again, you can see a pattern here. I'm focusing on symptoms which are affecting uh, young people in general, which are the loss of smell or taste and also these uh, uh, COVID toes or these uh, are quite significant and obvious signs. Now, again, the uh, academics ensured that the child had not taken any, any, any drugs, so that this was not a drug reaction. And essentially, after the appearance of the discoloration to the feet, Two days later, the child began to experience the symptoms of fever, followed by muscle pain, headache, intense itching and burning of the feet. Eventually, these lesions self-healed. And this is really, really interesting. However, during the uh, uh, problem period of uh, the high fever, the patient was unable to wear shoes and the symptom appears to be quite localized to the feet. And it is characterized by these red to blue colored toes. And I think that this is just fascinating uh, because, again, as I said, these are new uh, symptoms and there's a lot to be uh, learnt from this. And I'm sure a lot of publications are going to come, be coming out talking about this localized inflammatory reaction. And it, as I said, it'll be very interesting to see whether or not any of these lesions do become uh, co-infected with uh, uh, other microbes, uh, uh, bacteria or fungi. Um, and uh, we'll see what the literature shows in the coming weeks to months. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. In any case, I now want to move on to a survey which I touched on very briefly last week. And essentially, this is a publication which uh, uh, I have um, uh, uh, just submitted. And basically, this is regarding the implications of environmental surface testing and COVID safe awareness and the implications with regard to uh, restrictions in movement being lifted and what we should be considering about the built environment. And again, a lovely publication has come out which puts this whole topic into context. And again, I put the Earl up here. And basically, we're talking about moving about our predominantly homes at the moment, but when restrictions are lifted, we'll be moving back out into the workplaces. Now, we already know that uh, many workers will have their hours staggered and that uh, officers may need to uh, uh, change the way um, staff are actually managed and may, might be the end uh, if we uh, listen to the media for shared open plan offices. But at this point in time, 
we're all being encouraged to wear masks and use gloves and hand sanitizer. And the reason for that is to minimize something called this T, which is the uh, on your face, you don't want to touch a contaminated object and then touch your eyes, nose or mouth. And that's why it's called a T. And this is the hot zone on your body that you definitely don't want to bring your hands into contact with. And so the whole point of fomite trans, uh, 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 the problem of fomite uh, contamination is that it's there are just so many surfaces that could potentially become contaminated with this virus, as we've certainly seen over the uh, 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 months and years in aerobiology with the distribution of fungal spores, uh, particularly after water damage, which is the prime work that I'm involved with all the time. But uh, more recently, the risk management of workplaces that could be susceptible to uh, virus settling out onto surfaces is a big component now of what we're uh, uh, actively doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And if we look at this, and this schematic shows very clearly, as an individual moves about the built environment, they are going to touch many different uh, uh, areas and materials and objects. And then there is uh, a high risk of other individuals coming in contact with that. And because, as I said, we're still learning about the transmission characteristics of this particular virus, that it is not just all the individuals that came in infected on planes. There's a large percentage of asymptomatic persons which could be shedding virus which is picked up by others. And that's what I really want to focus on. So if and again, I'm not going to jump the gun because, as I said, my publication is under peer review at this point in time. But I'm just cherry picking a couple of the from the 25 questions that I polled uh, a, a test uh, group here in Australia about. Uh, we also did some pilots in the US and the UK as well. Um, one of the questions was regarding uh, how long the uh, virus can remain in the air. And again, part of the survey requirements were that the individuals were uh, not allowed to look up the answers on the internet. But what is very interesting and, you know, what, what was actually um, quite good to see that the general knowledge of uh, virus, certainly the SARS-CoV-2 virus, at least for airspace contamination was reasonably good. And you can see that the dominant peak here uh, was between the one to three hour. And this was the question that I asked about the viability of the virus in droplets when they have been expelled from a symptomatic or an asymptomatic person, how long can they remain suspended in the air? And there is a lot of modeling being done in the scientific literature. There are simulations being done in labs. And then there are real world case studies that are coming out of the hospitals and healthcare environments. And the study or my study has picked up the fact that the Australian population is quite accurately determining that the viability of the virus in the air is at least three hours. Uh, a lot of people actually just didn't know. So that is a, a very important fact as well. Uh, and some people thought that uh, the virus became uh, inactive quite quickly. Again, last week I talked at some length about the potential transmission of virus on other micron and submicron debris present in the air and the relationship with 
PM 2.5 particulate matter pollution and that being a transmission vector for the virus. But I'm not going to get into this uh, now at all. And I'll turn my phone off as well. Now, if we move on to the next question, how long can the SARS-CoV virus remain uh, viable on surfaces. Now this is really, really interesting because this is what I wanted to drill into in my survey and I've got some great data which again, as I said, is going to be in um, the literature and as soon as this is accepted for publication, I'll be talking about it here uh, very quickly soon after. And one of the key facts here is that uh, the Australian public uh, were suggesting and certainly suggesting that the uh, virus could remain active for one to five days. Now, that was the dominant, dominant percentage. And in a sense, that's a little bit wrong because there's lots of evidence in the academic literature that the virus can remain active for a lot longer than these uh, 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 one to five days. And some of the points that I'd like to make in support of that is the fact that uh, viable virus, that is virus which can cause an infection in another group of cells have been um, swabbed from the surface of the external side of a face mask for up to seven days. Certainly what we know in, in the uh, emergent literature of wastewater testing or testing for uh, fecal contamination that many people shed the virus in their feces. And there have been some concerning publications that have come out in the last week or, or so that have been showing that um, viable or uh, viruses shed even after uh, people are unable to uh, get a viable, unable to uh, swab successfully to get a positive result from the uh, nasopharyngeal swab, that out of the feces that the um, SARS-CoV virus remains detectable up to 30 days. And there are some other publications that are suggesting that it's a bit less and some a little bit more. And so this is a really interesting uh, fact, which I wanted to highlight, and I will go into uh, much greater detail uh, in print uh, when this comes out. In any case, why am I doing this? Well, the reason why I am doing this is that we are about to head into the next phase. And this is, in a sense, termed various different things, but it is the post-COVID reopening. So the initial government response was to isolate and quarantine. Now we're slowly going to relax those conditions and we need to be thinking about what to expect when this all occurs. And so hence why I chose to focus on not so much microbiology this week, but I wanted to talk about these really, really interesting and memorable symptoms such as COVID toes or loss of smell and how that can potentially be used. And I wanted to focus on young people because schools are eminently probably about to reopen. And this issue, as we know, that the virus is transmitted by close contact, 
but definitely fomite and surface contamination is a risk and that because the schools are going back, we really need to be well aware of these things and be very careful of the T-zone and be mindful of the fact that the virus can remain uh, uh, extractable and, uh, and, 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 and swabbable, if you like, to show a positive result on a uh, um, using molecular uh, testing techniques from the feces, certainly for 20 to 30 days after uh, 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 people have shown a negative result. Now, persistent shedding of the COVID-2 in stools in infected children, and even when they're asymptomatic, means that there is great potential, I hope not, but there is significant potential for the virus to be spread and, 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 and cross-contaminate a lot of these high-touch uh, um, items. And again, I want to quote from a paper uh, in here about this issue of viral shedding in asymptomatic individuals uh, in, in children. And the authors stated that massive efforts should be made at all levels to prevent spreading of the infection among children after reopening of kindergartens and schools. So that's all I wanted to say as part of this week's live stream. Really, it is a risk awareness episode today. And the key take-home messages are the T-zone. Be mindful. That's why you're using hand sanitizer and perhaps face masks still. Be aware that the things that you touch, you don't know whether they're sanitary. And if there, there is this big potential for uh, fecal cross-contamination of everyday items, certainly the literature in swabbing of the healthcare environment has shown that uh, patient rooms uh, with people who have been diagnosed with COVID, there's a very high percentage of high-touch areas that end up uh, having persistent viral levels, which are detectable with swab testing. In any case, once uh, uh, our paper undergoes a successful peer review, I will post all the details from the survey here uh, because it's some very useful information. In any case, I am going to get back to work and uh, I will talk to you uh, next week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining me this week on The Mould Show. Make sure to visit our website at themouldshow.com where you can subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow up on specific content or any of the references that were discussed, which I always put up on the show notes. If you found value in this podcast, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or tell a friend or share this episode out to your network and family. As always, you can reach me on socials at Dr. Cameron Jones and I'm always happy to answer your questions. Have a great week and bye for now.